This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. run like a wild man. I watched you struggle and I watched you wrestle with them angels. Where he is from Auburn University, Bulls The correct Jern Harris Stadium time is 9.14 p.m. Central Standard Time. Your digital audio device is tuned to the Orange and True podcast, harbored by the friendly folks at collegeofmagnolia.com. Greetings and salutations, Orange and Truthers. It is I, Drew Croson, at Center Crow 2 on Twitter. You can find me at Center Crow on Venmo. To one side of me, via the magic of the internet, Mr. Ryan S. Starrett. The S stands for Statistician. Not sunburned somehow after spending a week at the beach. Oh, that's right. You have to go to the beach for a week. Yeah. Yeah. No, not here yet, but assumed to be alive and well is the AU chief. We will hopefully announce him when he arrives. Um, thoughts and prayers until then, chief. Are, are we doing this thing like when I fell asleep on the couch of just being super worried about chief? I'm not worried about Chief because he told us he wasn't going to be here yet. And he has kids. So and he has, he, he, has excuses. he has two kids under the age of five. So there's no telling what he's doing right now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's on. Yeah, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. Bedtime is is all all consuming and all, all it takes all hands on deck. Um, so, tonight's show, it's peak off season. We're going to talk NBA draft lottery, which happened minutes ago. We're going to talk football schedules that are happening 10 years from now in some cases. And I'm going to give you I'm going to give you 7 minutes. 7 whole minutes to talk about But first, you want to talk about 7 whole minutes, 7 minutes in heaven. So, so mark it down. If you don't want to hear it, skip seven minutes ahead. So That's my timer is going to go off. But if you do want to hear it, guys, it is the last podcast prior to the granddaddy of them all, La Grande Boucle, the great, the big belt, the big loop around France, the Tour de France 2021. And this is your official College Magnolia Tour de France 2021 preview big thing going on this year is, as you might know, Chris Froome, riding for Team Israel's uh, Startup Nation, not a favorite. This is a four-time Tour de France winner. But really, anybody who thinks he's going to win this thing hasn't watched professional bike racing in Hang on. I, I just want to ask, did, a number did you of call years. Israel a Startup Nation? That's the name of the team, right? Israel oh, col- okay. colon. Israel colon Startup I, I Nation. Just, I just thought you were uh, just making a statement there. Okay. No. Anyways. The name of the cycling team is Israel Colon Startup Nation. Okay. Who knows why? I, I mean, Israel, the Arab Emirates, Kazakhstan, Bahrain, all have teams in this race. Not necessarily like riders from those countries, but their countries have decided a great way to promote their brand is by attaching it to professional cycling. The two main, speaking of countries that most of us have not been to, the two main contenders this year and in every other stage race of the last two or three years are from Slovenia, home country of the one Luka Doncic. You've got uh, Primoz Roglic. Currently not in the playoffs. I just want to correct throw that in there. Primoz Roglic and Tade Pojakar. Pajakar. Most people call them Raj and Paj, or Rog and Pog, um, because they are so incredibly good, so talented in different ways. As a matter of fact, I, it's they're big time rivals. They're also extremely young. Tade Pajakar is like he's 21 or 22 years old. It's pretty unbelievable um, that he is that he is a defending now. Tour de France winner. And if you remember, Ryan, last year he won the tour. He won the tour over his Slovenian countryman, 
on the last day. And Raj, Primoz Roglic, had the yellow jersey up until the last day for like two whole weeks and then lost it on the very last day to Tade Pojakar. Um, in a time trial up a mountain, it was unbelievable. It was one of the most exciting days in bike racing. Um, but look for Roglic to avenge that loss this year because he has a much, much, much stronger team than Pojakar because I... I mean, Jumbo Visma has got Wout Van Aert, Tom Dumoulin. It's pretty ridiculous. Wout is going to win. Wout's going to win a Tour de France at some point in his career, I think. And we haven't even started talking about the New York Yankees of pro cycling. Ineos Grenadiers, formerly known as Team Sky. They've got three guys on their team who have won a Tour de France. Yet, or sorry, two guys now who have won a Tour de France. Yet one of them, Egan Bernal isn't even going to be there because they think he doesn't have much of a shot. They let him go win the, the Giro d'Italia. A guy you might not have heard of in a while, the guy who won it in 2018, Garrett Thomas. Garrett Thomas from Wales is 35 years old, just like yours truly. And he's really going to try to win this thing again. again. So you've got a little bit of age versus the youth in the Slovenians. So I, I really think so that's like team Phil Mickelson. Exactly. So okay. if you're, if you're plus you wrote a book, he's a genuinely funny guy. He hosts a podcast. Garrett Thomas is like very much the Mickelson of this race. And the two Slovenians are very much like machines. There's not a lot of like, I can't tell you one thing about Tade Pojakar's personal life, what he likes, what he doesn't like. I can't tell you much about Roglic. But meanwhile, these other dudes I know a lot about. I watch a lot of these races, and but yet these two Slovenians who win this, who are going to win this thing, are ghosts outside of training and riding bikes. Um, yeah, those are your favorites. I would say the dark horse might be the Colombian Rigoberto Oran from Team EF. Um, he's a really dark horse, I think, but he has a shot. He always has a shot. He's an interesting dude because allegedly he doesn't he doesn't wear a heart rate monitor or a power meter. He ride, he rides by feel. Where these other dudes all have computers hooked up to them all the time. He's out there just like old school. That feels like the basis for a movie. He's like he doesn't well, use all the tech. He just right. he just rides. He's just guy from Colombia just rides a bike. He's like that those old baseball players who didn't wear batting gloves. That's the way that I feel about him. Like, <laughs> What was that one? There was one baseball player a long time ago who like famously didn't use batting gloves and would like urinate on his hands. How, how long ago were you talking? The nineties and two thousands. Okay. And he would pee on his hands, and that's how he would like toughen up his hands. To uh, <laughs> this is this is a true well, story. I, I heard that part of it. Somebody's gonna somebody listening to this probably Drew McCracken's gonna know who I'm talking about. That's my back when somebody I was from the long long ago of nineteen nineties. That's when I was like really into baseball. Um, I think the King of the Mountains jersey, as you know, is Polka Dot, will probably go to one of the Slovenians as well because they're both super good climbers. The Dark Horse, back for the Dark Horse winner for that might be a Rafa Micah. I don't know. Mike Woods. Yeah, you got one minute left. You got anything else? Yeah, I do. The more important, the, the race to watch, I think, is on the very first day. My favorite bike rider, a guy named um, Matthew Van Der Poel from the Netherlands. Um, stage one is Brest to Landonneau, and he is only, in my opinion, he's only in this race because he's not going to finish this race in Paris because he's going to leave halfway through the tour to go try to win the gold medal in mountain biking in the Olympics. But before he does, he is going to try to win stage one of the tour so that he's in yellow for a couple this of This is a bigger story than anything else you've said. So Olympic cycling is during the tour it is this year because they announced the dates of the olympics after they had already announced the dates of the tour that, so there are seems like somebody messed something up 100 percent, and it, it's because of the because of COVID, obviously because last year they weren't going to actually overlap but this year i believe there is a one day like i think there are oh my timer's going on I think there's like one or two days rest a guy could have 
if he wants to ride the tour and then go try to win gold medal in the Olympics in road cycling. That would be like Olympic basketball starting like the day after the NBA finals. Correct. And <laughs> as a matter of fact, there are there are there's a lot of people who think there's going to be kind of a mass exodus after about the second, anybody that's not like in the top ten. Yeah, after the second rest day in the tour of guys who who want to go ride the Olympics. Because there's some guys like Julian Alaphilippe has already said he's not riding for France in the Olympics. Because the tour the tour is more important. It's similar to the World Cup is more important to soccer players than the Olympics are. The tour is more important to most of these dudes in the Olympics. Um, but some of these guys, like Vanderpool, compete in mountain biking in the Olympics. And Olympic mountain biking is still the biggest deal in mountain biking. So he is going to and he doesn't have a shot of winning the tour because he's not much of a climber. But day one suits him particularly well. So I think he's here just to get a yellow jersey and then bolt and go win a gold medal in the Olympics. Because he'll be the first person to wear a yellow jersey and win a gold medal in a different cycling discipline in the same year ever. So he's a he's a beast because he can do everything. You All could, right, last, last thing, who is your winner? Who's your, who are you predicting? Oh, I think... I think Primoz Roglic from Slovenia is going to beat Tadej Pogacar because okay. after last year, I think he's out. He's on a mission. But why? I mean, you never know. These guys are so good. And you also never know because the course is nuts this year. The weather's going to be crazy. I bet there's going to be a bunch of dudes get hurt and have to quit. So we'll – so what, like first week of August, we'll see some really good video from the tour of just – a bunch of bike, or cyclists crashing. First week of August, this thing starts on Saturday. Oh. The yeah, 20, I was thinking, uh, it starts the 26th. That's why we're doing this. Huh. Okay. Anyways, okay. So first week of July. So it's 21 days. 21 days of bike racing starting on Saturday. Get excited, Ryan. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm going to go ahead about, and apologize. Uh, Let's get more excited about NBA mock drafts. NBA mock drafts, um, there have been a ton already out, and there's going to be a ton more come out because the actual NBA draft lottery. Um, the lottery was, was today. today. The combine was also today. Isn't that right? Yes. The NBA. Is that, in my, is that usually the case? No. Okay. Every, everything's, yeah, everything's slammed together. Um, in my opinion, though, the NBA does do it better than any other sport by putting the draft like the week after the season's over. So you kind of have the NBA offseason just is just jam packed right after the uh, right after the right after the season ends. The the big winner in this is going to be probably Isaac Okoro, I think. Because the, his Cavaliers end up with the third pick in the draft, um, and they they stink. So they were they're really going to be. It's a very deep, very good draft, and they got. Yeah, the, and they're really looking for a score, right? They need you somebody else. Going to be one of the best defenders in the league, and mm-hmm. then you've got uh, Colin Sexton, who's I mean, a good point guard, but. He's kind of trying to shoulder the offensive load, it looks like, and that's been disastrous. So. His off-on splits are crazy. Like, basically, when he's not on the court, the, the Cavs don't have a chance. His average, Collins, let's put it this way. When the Cavaliers lose, Colin Sexton averages 22 points a game. In their wins, he averages 30. So, he has so to score somebody else 30 points. When he's not having his best night. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just looking at some mock drafts. Uh, our old friend Jalen Green seems to be a popular pick to go to Cleveland. I think it's a really good pick for them because he shoots the ball well. He likes to dunk the ball. gets his own shot. He doesn't – like he, like Okoro, is not going to want the ball on every possession. But he also plays – I think he plays adequate defense. Not like He's not like Okoro where it's like his number one number one thing, but – yeah, I think the the main the other winner of this draft being it one of the deepest drafts is the Rockets. The Rockets have a ton of picks. Um, I see one, two, three, three first rounders. They have three first round picks, and they have and one of those because of the lottery they got really lucky. 
they have the number two pick in this draft. Sure. Yeah, and they've also got – oh, never mind. That's pick the traded away. So, yeah, number two pick in the draft and then two more in the 20s. Um, right around Sharif Cooper range. I don't know yep. if they need a point guard or not. But. I've seen him mock to the to them in a couple of drafts. Uh, I hope not. He deserves better. <laughs> well, it depends on if they get um, the kid from Gonzaga, Suggs. If they get Suggs, then they probably won't go after Cooper. If they go somewhere else right. at number two, maybe they do. It's it's kind of like – I mean, they're going to basically draft three, three-fifths of a starting lineup of first-rounders. More likely, they're going to trade these guys, some of these picks, <laughs> for established NBA veterans. But well, because they they don't have it's not just the three first round picks this year. Don't they have like ten first round picks over the next four years or something like that? Um, they have a lot. They don't have as many as the Thunder, who have like uh, maybe it's the Thunder I'm thinking of. But. The Thunder have like I think over a dozen. Chief. Oh, the AU yeah. Chief, another guy who wants to talk a little NBA hoops. Hey guys, the Thunder hey, had it. You already missed our uh, you already missed our Tour de France talk, so good timing. Oh, <laughs> darn! So the Thunder had a chance to get two top five picks if the lottery had shaken a certain way. It mm-hmm. didn't, so they ended up with just the number six pick because they could have had Houston's pick had it been top outside of the top three. Oh wow. Yeah, so ended up they ended up with just their own pick, which is the sixth. Um, so Houston got real lucky, leaving the Thunder with its own pick. The Thunder also have the sixteenth pick. The Thunder also have the eighteenth uh, pick. So, so for Sharif Cooper, uh, it seems like he's kind of settled in in the mock drafts to a pretty tight range of like the early twenties. Um, and there's a lot of teams there that need point guards. Uh, sometimes it's the Knicks, the Lakers, Clippers. Um, I, I, I think Auburn fans aren't exactly happy with the Knicks, so maybe Kofi don't go there. Uh, and they don't. We, we've talked about him needing um, offensive weapons already established to really to be comfortable in his rookie year, uh, and the Knicks don't have that at all. Yeah. Uh, all right. So. If he were to go to the Lakers, though, I mean, I think that'd be a great fit for him. Well, Sharif could go to the if Sharif going to the Knicks would be good for Sharif in that. That that is kind of the one thing the Knicks needed. Like they didn't have any offense. Their best player on on point at point was Derrick Rose, and he's my age. Maybe not a bad player (laughs) for Sharif to learn from. Yeah, if he's back in, I mean, I don't think he's back in New York next year, though. So no, I don't think he is either. Yeah, but I think like, their other point guard option was Alfred Payton, who no. really struggled in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I think Knicks fans are desperate for somebody to go in there and run point. New York loves a point guard. It's a it's a point it's guard town. Use Jared Harper. Well, I don't know. They're not going to play Jared, but they. <laughs> I mean, if you need a point guard that can shoot, I know. You, know, you got one. But they, they want. It's a point guard town. They're going to. If they take Sharif, he the only the negative to it will be the expectations on that kid to be Jason Great. Kidd next year. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like this is and the good thing is that he, he wouldn't be a top ten pick, so that maybe that helps a little bit with that. Um, and you know, Sharif through all of the drama and everything that went on last year handled himself extremely well. So I, I don't really worry about. The stage being too big for him or anything like that. And he will be hyped up. Every single flashy pass he has for the Knicks will be on SportsCenter. I mean, the Knicks. It's true. He, he will share. He will sell a lot of number eight jerseys or number two jerseys or, or whatever goes, he is. Or if he goes to the Lakers. I mean, it's the same thing. Well, Lakers, there's, Lakers have a player, a couple of players that might be a little bit overshadowing. Well, <laughs> like, no, no, what I'm saying is it's, it's a big media town and uh, he'll have just as many highlights setting up LeBron and Anthony Davis. Is, right. is, Derek Rose, is Derek Rose not still in New York? I, I think, think he's, he's free. free agent. Okay. Here's the problem with, with LeBron. I love LeBron, but name the last time LeBron had a rookie point guard. I mean, LeBron's been his own point guard. Right. The last exactly. Game. So like, 
And when he did have a young point guard that wasn't Kyrie, it was like Mario Chalmers, and he berated him. Like it was (laughs) – Mario Chalmers was not beloved by LeBron in Miami for the most part. What about um, the uh, the other team in LA, the Clippers? That's a good fit. That'd be a good fit for Sharif because they've made it work with Rondo, who famously can't shoot at all. So Sharif, I think, would be not would be he is much younger than Rajon Rondo. <laughs> he is. <laughs> he's got a little. He's got a couple steps on Rajon, and he brings that, more to the table offensively. There, there's. I have thought of them both as a, a similar type player, though undersized, um, good distributor, um, can't shoot. So, so in that way, they're they're very similar. The difference um, is that is that I don't even know if Rajon tries to shoot layups anymore. Right, right. Like he didn't even try to get to the basket. Where Sharif, his whole game is just not a three point shooter. Right, well, Sharif's think, whole game is predicated on the fact that he can get to the basket whenever he wants to. Right. And so you have to over defend him, which then opens up passing lanes. Rajon is just his basketball IQ is. Right. Through the roof. Off the charts. And he just which, can't shoot. <laughs> which yeah. makes no sense. It's unfortunate. So what do we think about uh, the all, other Auburn guy in this draft who's kind of been exploding through uh, you know, that ASMR there, Chief? Yeah, he's just chewing right ice right into the microphone. Make, making up for lost time. Sorry about uh, that, guys. Our, our other Auburn guy flying up draft boards, uh, JT Thor, who has gotten a lot of love at the Combine today. He, he, is, he has become the... Uh, the Yi Jean Leon of this draft. I mean, he, he could be a you know top twenty pick, or he could be a middle of the second round pick. I I don't really know, but hey, it only takes one team to fall in love with somebody with a seven three wingspan. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Moises Alou, Ryan, according to my wife, who googled it and texted me, Moises Alou is the player that peed on his hands <laughs> to uh, to toughen him up. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and they didn't develop calluses, so they were tough, and then developed calluses because he peed on his hands. Right, Chief, you have no clue what we're talking about, but goodness gracious, that definitely was part of the uh, was part of because uh, urine hardens your skin and prevents calluses. So who who among us hasn't? <laughs> who among us hasn't thought what if there was just a way to harden my to tighten up the skin on my hands where it wouldn't develop calluses? Yeah, that's it. JT. So Ryan, I referenced a guy named Yi Jianlian. Do you know who that is? Is this the guy that you have talked about that like his only workout was against chairs? That is correct. So <laughs> Yi Jianlian was an an NBA draft pick. He he was not expected uh, to enter the NBA draft until '09, but then in '06 he. <laughs> just decided to enter um yeah it was it was nuts and then he decided to then he decided halfway through that that he didn't want to go in the draft that year so he withdrew his name came back in the 07 draft um it was people thought he was either gonna be the third pick the 12th pick the bucks worked him out um but then his agent leaked that he didn't want to go to the Bucks because there weren't enough Asian Americans in Milwaukee. <laughs> um, then they drafted him anyway. Uh, it was, it was crazy, and they yeah allegedly his only workout for an NBA team was against just chairs. That sounds um, like a story from COVID. Like, yeah, oh, we couldn't have anybody else in the room with him. We all had to stay back, and he had to work out against chairs. Yep. Yep. He was, he's a, he played for a lot of years in the Chinese league. Still, still playing over there. And is like a multiple time all-star. And then, but his, his career points per game in, in the NBA is eight points a game. Um, less than one block a game. Just his best year in the league was at 12 points per game for the Nets the New Jersey Nets who got him in a, a trade 12 uh, points, 12 points a game. And he was a top, what was he like the, 
what was he? The they drafted him sixth, sixth overall, and no one had ever seen him play really. Because back in '07, like international scouting is right now, it's it is so much better than it was even in 2007. 2007, most of these NBA execs hadn't really seen a lot of these dudes play that much. Right. Now they've got guys in everywhere, everywhere. And the leagues are really good. And the leagues are on TV. You could watch the EuroLeague basketball in the United States with the right TV package. So anybody could have, could have seen – like Luca, for instance, everyone wanted to give Donnie um, – I lost, lost track of his name. Donnie Nelson credit for, quote-unquote, finding Luca Doncic. They didn't find Luca Doncic. Luca was a, the most famous – basketball player in Europe for a number of years. Like he didn't find him. He found Dirk because literally no one had seen him play. But Luca was like, dropped in his lap, basically. This was everyone knew yeah. how good he was from the time he was fourteen. Even then Charles Barkley found Dirk. So Right, Charles found Dirk. <laughs> and that so that story of Barkley playing Dirk kind of re like reframes this whole point. It's like this kid nowadays Everybody would have known who he was after that game. Like that game would have been on Instagram. That game would have been on Twitter. Everyone would have known he, this German sixteen-year-old. Like, yeah, seven-foot kid like Casado out of the Philippines is people know about him. He can yeah. come to the U.S. and do a developmental league. So for yeah. JT, that, I guess that doesn't happen twenty years ago. For JT Thor in twenty twenty-one to be shooting up draft boards now when everyone has seen him play high school ball and college ball just kind of goes to show you that like, you know, this dude is legitimately everything an NBA team wants. He is this clay that has been not molded yet that an NBA team is not even, yeah, he's not even 19 years old yet. He's six foot 10 as a nine foot um, standing reach. That's the craziest thing. I read that today and I was like, wait, what? So crazy. <laughs> His standing reach is like nine foot three. That's One other a, guy Auburn fans are going to want to see in a draft. Yeah, Davion Mitchell going the borderline top ten. Um, it, it is kind of crazy to think that he'll going into the last year. I don't think anybody thought Davion Mitchell would be drafted ahead of Truth Cooper, both being point guards. But right. it just kind of goes to show what how well, good of a year he had. I, I don't well, know. Just, just a lot of it because of age. I mean, you don't really think yeah, about okay. the 22-year-old being drafted top 10. Right. Um, but he just played so well last year. Uh, and the year before. It's it's not yeah. like last year was a fluke. And I, I think that's probably what they've the scouts have looked at, is that he's sustained that for two years. Just just great play for two two straight years. And won a national championship and um, you know, they don't put as much weight on that anymore as they used to, but it's still, it's, it would still factor in. It's not like he's an old 22. Like <laughs> he's right. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I mean that, that may play into it as well. He hasn't played four years. He only played two, two and a half. Really. Yeah. 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 So uh, there's not a whole lot of miles there. And, <clears throat> to get an experienced guy like him and um, one that that is as good as him is is probably high on some some people's lists. Yeah. So right now I'm seeing him to the Pelicans at number ten, which is interesting because they are, they actually have some point guards on their roster already, and Lonzo Ball and Keir Lewis. So he would I don't think he would be going in as a surefire starter. I don't think Lonzo's going to be there next year. That's true. Maybe uh, maybe he should go to Philly and Ben Simmons come back to Louisiana. So okay, that's a good point, Ryan, because Ben Simmons, I believe, is not going to be in Philadelphia. I don't by anybody believe. Ben Simmons is not going to be in Philadelphia by the time the draft is over. I don't think. So there's a good chance he's in New Orleans. Davion Mitchell's in. Like you never know, but Sharif Cooper to the Sixers that could happen too. I would love that for Sharif. Just throwing lobs to Embiid all day. The wide open floor of an NBA court is going to make Sharif Cooper look even more 
weirdly perceptive than he are. Like he he already looks like a precog from yeah. Minority Report. Like he he will he'll make passes next year that people will be like, wait, how did this kid? It, like much like a Facundo Campazzo from Argentina who plays for the Nuggets. He was doing things this year. He's like 30 and a rookie in the NBA. Sharif is so much better than that guy. And he's 19. Chief's favorite player is Facundo Campazzo. He doesn't realize it. It's got a, it's got a fun name to say. Plus yeah. he does things like uh, Meg's people. <laughs> <laughs> like like he'll throw the ball between people's legs and then like laugh about it like that's the funniest thing in the world so he's like uh uh is he italian is he's argentinian but his oh, name it, sounds italian right right uh so he's argentinian jason williams is that what you're telling me 100 percent. and okay. the funny thing about being argentinian in the nba is that everyone calls you a euro still <laughs> like i I can't does, tell you. He does have a very Euro, right. Euro-sounding name, at least. I can't tell you how many times Shaq and Charles Barkley referred to him as him and Nikola Jokic as a couple of European players. I'm like, I mean, this dude could not be further from Europe if he tried. Do, like, do you think either one of those guys <laughs> knows that Ar- where Argentina is? No, like that it's not uh, in Europe. No, because they call Manu Ginobili Arge- uh, European yeah. for a hundred years too. Argentina is as far away from Europe as you could be. Except, yes, yes, but it's the most European of South American countries. That's true. It's, it is the most European South American country. Ryan, you want to take a break before we get into football talk? Yeah, then we can talk about why the the European nature of Argentina led to so many Nazis fleeing Germany and going to Argentina after the Second World yeah. War. And making it further European. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and we're back. We've been talking for 32 minutes. If you're still listening to this, thank you. Many people are shaking their heads. Many people are still listening to this, I'm sure. Um, but Ryan wanted to talk about football schedules, which is which is a great thing to talk about. It's what we talk about in the offseason is things that don't matter because <laughs> these games obviously uh, could be rescheduled within the same season as we learned. If we learned anything from the COVID-shortened 2020 season is that we don't have to schedule these games 10 years in advance. Teams but were scheduling can. games That's a week ahead, ahead in advance. Yeah, I guess you, you can, can schedule these games. You can schedule these games for the what sixth grade class right now, and yes. they'll be ready. So my my <laughs> I have a nephew who is seven, and he will be a freshman in college when Auburn plays Miami. So. Uh, that's we, ridiculous. We nailed it, guys. This was, this was uh, a very exciting news for for your boy, uh, Chief. Uh, I am a noted Miami fan. Um, I have liked Miami for as long as I've liked Auburn, actually. Uh, Were you and, a fan of Miami because of the U or just for other reasons? Uh, uh, it's just a long story. I visited Miami when I was – four uh went to the orange bowl parade um uh, got a bunch of my my dad really liked miami because uh, they wore fatigues to a uh, uh a game uh i believe against alabama in which they lost but you know whatever uh they uh, uh you know that my my dad really liked them when i was a kid and so i liked them um and that was that was the u the, the original the u uh, era and um then I later visited again when I was a teenager. My aunt, who's only a few years older than me, went there, uh, and uh, they were really good at that time too. So I, I liked them. Uh, I, my love for Miami continued, and I, I still like them to this day. They've struggled for years, 
So uh, my favorite team playing my other favorite team is uh, exciting for me. Uh, I will, however, be 45 years old when this game happens. So uh, uh, and it will have. You'll have a teenager, right? By this point. Um. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> thanks. That would be. I think. Hey, seriously though, that is a great first road trip. Would be to go to Miami. No. No. I mean, uh, now the last time I went to Miami, I was. Uh, f- thirteen, fourteen. Four- I was fourteen. Uh, yeah. And the time uh, you can really start appreciating the scenery of South Beach. Oh yeah, I, I went to South Beach at 14 years old. We went to South <laughs> Beach, spent a day there. Um, it. Uh, what a day it was. Yeah, we'll we'll see about that. No um, one will I, want to see my 43 year old self. Oh God, on South Beach well, at that point. No, no, I'm pretty you, sure. that's all you will see there is people that you do not want to see. That's true. Uh, in a state of undress. Um, hey, Sarah, can we go to Auburn versus Miami in my at Miami in, when I'm 43 years old? Oh, should we have a shrug? We gotta say, that's a maybe. A market yeah, right. We're on our way to Hard Rock well, Stadium in 2029. The, <laughs> the only reason I say I would not want to take my teenage son is I want to have fun in Miami. Come on. <laughs> we live in large. <laughs> uh, okay, so... I have some more thoughts on this, but before we do, did you guys get into the 12-team playoff discussion last week? We didn't know. Not really, I, no. I, 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 I don't remember if that dropped before the podcast or after. I, I think it, had, it did. I haven't looked at any of that okay. because, frankly. So, it's, so basically, if you haven't heard about it, uh, it's likely coming. I mean, not official, but uh, unofficially official. that They're going to go to the 12-team playoff. We don't know when just yet, um, but essentially it'll be the top four teams get a bye, uh, five plays 12 for the first round, you know, six plays 11. Then you get down to eight teams and do a three-round playoff from there. Um, Auburn would have benefited from that a lot over the last decade or so. Um, I think probably the 2017 team definitely would have made it in. Um, potentially maybe the 2019 team if that Iron Bowl win. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on good or bad expanding to 12 teams? I mean, I'm I don't worry about the details yet. Just the concept of expanding the playoff. Um, I, I, I'm, there's, there's, there's benefits and like, just like everything in life, there's things that are great about it and things that are terrible. But like, the 12 team playoff is awesome if you want. Um, the 2017 Auburn team to have a shot. But, like, should the 2017 Auburn team have a shot? Like, that's the question. Like, Auburn in under Gus Malzahn, I think we did the math and put it in the slack. Like, Auburn under Gus Malzahn would have had a case to make the 12 team playoff three times. And you can make the case that Auburn didn't have a team good enough to be in the playoffs any year under Gus Malzahn. So, why reward them with with this? Like, I don't know. I, I part of me is this doesn't solve the problem of finding the best team any better than a regular old playoff does because playoffs are a terrible way to decide a champion in the first place. And the other part of me is like, well, this is great because then Auburn gets more more television viewing and but you didn't in. In college sports, what often happens is a problem is is discovered and they solve the problem by creating more problems. And similar to the government, I guess. But in <laughs> uh, in college football, it's, it, it often comes from they claim to be solving the problem of access and saying, we're going to give the mid-majors an actual shot. And they, sure, they might be giving some mid-majors an actual shot. But the shot is to get blown out at home <laughs> by a Power 5 team with three losses. And that seems but, like a crazy uh, so I will say concession. That, so the way it is going to be structured, they say the way they've talked about it, is the top six conference champions by the, the rankings would get an automatic like entry in to the, into the playoffs. Right. There's only five Power 5 conferences, so that means at least one – um, at least one group of five conference champion is going to be in. Some years you might get two, 
probably less likely than or less often than not. Um, Last year would have been what? Coastal? Coastal and Cincinnati, I believe, both would have made it. And so Cincinnati uh, would have had what to that host. Does is they're, not, they're not playing number one. They're not going to go play Alabama because that Alabama has a bye. Right. So they would have played Texas A&M. That's what I mean. And like, and like, you could argue I mean Coastal would have a good shot against Texas A&M. Sure. Yeah. Or or Cincinnati, who played Georgia, what was that two years ago or last year? They played them down to the wire in the Sugar Bowl. That becomes an on-campus game in the first round. If they win that game, then they go play Alabama. But you know. Yeah, but you're telling me right now that Coastal or Cincy are going to host in front of you know. 45,000 fans, Georgia, or last year's North Carolina team. I mean, I, there's just an opportunity for them to get blown out at home, I feel like. It's like, or, like. Or the 2017 UCF team draws Auburn. Okay. And, and Auburn would have had I mean, a couple more days off, or maybe not, but I mean, Auburn would be healthy. But they have fewer days off because this is, this is probably happening two weeks after conference championships. Oh, but they, they'd also draw Auburn at home. Yeah, I think UCF was ranked ahead of Auburn, weren't they? And the, this this also gets rid of the yeah. which team wants to win this game more argument because Auburn did not care about that Peach Bowl in the least. Sure. But Auburn probably would have cared about the game had it been called yeah. first round of the playoffs. Exactly. So then you get yeah. white. Without, and without a healthy carry on Johnson, I'm not sure if Auburn caring mattered a ton. But. But yeah. so my point, my point is, yes, it's still very, very, very unlikely a group of five team is going to win the playoff and win the national title. But now they are in the conversation. They do get it. They do get a chance to host a power commerce team, potentially win a game, and then, you know, just like we yeah. see in March Madness all the time, it it only takes one Cinderella to make it all amazing. Yeah, but like much like we also see in March Madness, and this makes you feel good. It feels good to think that there is a now a chance where Coastal Carolina could beat Georgia in Wilmington and then go beat Alabama. Myrtle Beach, man. I'm sorry, Myrtle, Myrtle Beach. Sorry, <laughs> I had them Georgia confused. at Myrtle Beach would be. Uh, but but it it most likely is going to be like March Madness, in which yeah. You might get a couple of Cinderella seeds. Cinderella's upset in the early rounds, but by the time you get to the Sweet 16, most of them are gone. Like they just didn't. They don't. They can't. They cannot last. Or for Chief, it's always fun when you watch the promotion playoffs in Premier League or in right. the Bundesliga, and like, oh my gosh, this team, Nottingham Forest gets a chance to play in the Premier League next year. Yeah. Great. We'll be seeing them next year <laughs> back yeah. in the second league. Because yeah. at the end of the day, yes, they have a chance of going to the Champions League, I guess. But I mean, they're not uh, going to do it. The, like, the, counter, the counter to that is Leicester came up and won the league the next year. I mean, yeah. So. It's happened. And Leicester was... The odds on Leicester were so bad that you wouldn't, yeah, you couldn't even bet on them to win the Premier League at some bookies. Yeah. They wouldn't take your bet because it was just the the odds were so long. So yeah, like I mean, it does happen, and maybe this will open the door to one year a team just goes crazy and runs the table. But I think it's just going to end up where Alabama just makes more playoffs. I think this... well, what we complain about Alabama not having earned it. I mean, this if you give them three playoff games, they have to win. I don't know. The, the 20, 2020 Alabama team is going to beat anybody you put in front of them. It's not really. I mean, that, they issue, but... they'd find a way to uh, get to play the three lowest ranked teams that they could possibly yeah. play on their way in. So, uh, like the other bracket, the lowest ranked team on that side would make it all the way to the championship. And then they play. But but now when you have undefeated Houston or undefeated UCF or undefeated Boise State, you know they gotta, those, those teams can upset power conference teams. Yeah, and I, and I don't I don't have a, a problem with expecting yeah. it. I, I always I, I mean every other level of football has a sixteen team playoff. Uh, I I think this 
20 years ago made more sense than it does now when you have an Alabama who has all the money. And that's what I'm thinking that the haves are more, there's more division right now in college football between the level of talent at the very top versus at the yes. very bottom. Like, and even the best power five, best group of five teams rosters aren't even close to Auburn's roster for the most part. Like it's, and right. Auburn's not Auburn's a have, but we're not Clemson. Right. We're not Alabama. We're not Clemson. Um, I mean, I, I don't even think an Oklahoma is on the same level as Al- in Alabama. No. Um, and and uh, I, I think there's been this uh, – and, and talent-wise, there's only – there's like three or four programs that are on Alabama's level. It's like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia <laughs> – who can't just do anything paper, with that just on paper. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying, the, the talent, yeah. talent-wise. And L- LSU is, is close there. Uh, they're, they're, I'd probably put them in a second tier with uh, your Oklahomas. Uh, uh, but but there's still a pretty wide gap there. And and as wide a gap there is there, the, the gap from them to the best uh, um, group of five team is insane um and and you know i'm not even sure those teams deserve a shot but that ucf uh, team who beat auburn who was their best player the dude, with the, the dude with the cast on his hand <laughs> he's not in the well, league they had uh well yeah he, he snapped his leg in half and hasn't played football since Jeez. Like he, like, um no, they had uh, Shaquem Griffin, too, didn't they? That's what I'm talking about. Shaquem Griffin. He's not in the league anymore. Is he not? I don't yeah. think so. I, I'm not sure. If he is, he, I, um, I don't think he's starting. You know, it, it, it's That 2010 Boise team was as good as any playoff team. I mean, they weren't going to beat Auburn with Cam, but uh, I think they were a top-four team. So it, I, it doesn't I, have to be the case that every year a G5 team is worthy or not, but this does make it so that the times that they are worthy, they'll be in. Right. So I, I, I think I think that's the argument. I think that there could be a year where there are 12 teams good enough to win the title. Uh, I, you know, that's not this year. Um, and in Auburn's case, things went bad that were out of their control is why that 2017 team didn't win, win, you know, they, they didn't make a national championship game. So, uh, or the playoff as it were at that time. So I, I think there's an argument to be made that there, there could be a year where there are at least six teams worthy uh, that could be worthy. Yeah. I mean, the, the first playoff year, you had the whole fiasco with the big 12 having co-champions and, Neither one of them got in because they didn't want to pick one of them. <laughs> right. So, so I, I think it it alleviates those situations, and it, yeah, you may have some teams in there that have no business being there, and, and just like March no, Madness, mind you. Right. I, I think I think maybe that's where Crow's coming from. Is this isn't basketball? This isn't March Madness. That's its own thing. It, you can argue that that's a really bad way to pick a champion too. Um, but although there aren't good ways with 300 and something teams and to do it. So right. that, that tournament's the best, but, um, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's, I think basketball it's, is much more of a, like, well, you can play more than one basketball game a week. Yeah. But <laughs> it's also more of a luck. A single game in a basketball game could be one on the last second shot. Well, like, uh, uh, hold on now. You're, you're talking about the Auburn Tigers here, uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's sort of our our uh, thing. <laughs> but it's 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 a it's like a staple of March Madness is that a guy could get hot and hit six threes in a game that you've never heard of, right. and he never does anything again the rest of his life. Yeah. Against yeah. Alabama, the equivalent of that would be, I guess, Stephen Garcia going unconscious like having just the most ridiculous game of his career. But that is so unique that we were, we talk about it years later, but like, so like, I don't think 
expanding it to 12 is like, man, every year it's going to be like this. No, most years it's going to be chalk. Well, it's I don't be chalk. But it, but it makes the years that you get, you know, Gonzaga versus Baylor all the better, right? Those yeah, I, I just – No, that's, that's what I'm saying. Despite the results of the game, like, you felt like you got the matchup you wanted. Yeah, I, I think it. Yeah. I think it fixes more things than it than it hurts to to do to expand it. Yeah. That that's that's what I I think. I, and, I know. What you, go ahead, Chief. Oh, I I just I know a lot of people don't want to see it happen for various reasons. I just it eliminates most of the arguments of what if. And if you're the the thirteenth team left out, you've got a lot less to complain about right. than if you were the fifth team or the third team left out. Um, just like, just team. like the bubble in March madness. If you were on the bubble, you didn't deserve to be in anyways. If you're the number 15 team in the country, you didn't deserve to be in anyways. Yeah. And, to, and to make the argument that the number five team should have a shot. And, and when you're complaining about not getting in, when you're on the bubble, you're, you're not, you're not complaining because you thought you would win the tournament. You're complaining because you thought that your team was better than, yeah, could have won a game or was better than another team that got picked to go in. What I am um, worried about is that there's going to be a little bit of ranking manipulation just because you know it's going to happen where maybe last year that Coastal Carolina team is ranked 13th. All right. Because, because their number 12 is maybe a 9-3 and three Auburn. Yeah. Where, uh, yeah. Money-wise, it makes a little more sense. Well, it, as long as there's a committee – selecting things absolutely yeah but see, i think absolutely. the opposite will happen i think then the committee will be like we cannot have five sec teams this year and so a, but not, if, it, if it's the difference in a fifth sec team and a third big 10 team you're right well i i, I think they, they could have found a way to hold out maybe well, a really good 11 and one houston or a undefeated sunbelt team or something you know so, no, so I, think they would, committee... I think they let in a, a conference champion Sunbelt team. A second no, a second G five champion. Yeah, Sunbelt. I think they would over like a over a nine and three team. You mean to tell me you think this committee is uh, actually being fair and not trying to maximize the profits of uh, this, the organization that they now serve? I think I think they think a a Houston getting in is a more interesting product. Maybe than a yeah, maybe. nine and three Auburn versus. I, I could see that. I, I Akron. the the eyes. The SEC is the most profitable and lucrative conference in all football. So you wonder if maybe they would relish the idea of putting as many SEC well, teams in as possible. Yeah. Um, but the the reality of this, and I think there's other podcasts that do a better job than this, obviously, but. The reality of this is that the sport is not becoming – it's not growing more national. It's actually growing more regional. Sure. It's, act, and it's, not growing in, it's not growing in popularity in places like Portland or San Francisco or places out west. It's only really growing in the southeast. And so if this – and one of the reasons they expanded the playoffs and they're going to expand the playoffs is because they have got to figure out a way – to make people in the Pac-12 especially not turn the sport off in September. Because at this point, that's what's happening. The second Oregon loses its first game, the western half of the United States quits caring about the sport. Yeah. and Yeah, because USC stinks now, and uh, UCLA's stunk forever. So they kind of missed its window. Yeah. So this is 100%. Arizona State playoff. Like how do we keep how do we keep the western part of the United States interested in the sport going forward? Uh, and so in the NFL, I think they're going to start. I think you'll see a lot of manipulation in terms of uh, growth markets. <laughs> yeah, like oh, you know what? We could get that. We could get that lucrative LA market if we let SC in, uh, even though they're not as deserving maybe as another SEC team. All right, so all of this playoff talk uh, has let me do another question about scheduling. Um, you know, the, the prime off-season topic about scheduling. 
um, I have noticed over the last week or so that a lot of these uh, Power Five programs, especially ones that Auburn wants to consider itself uh, as competitors with, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, it, they're all starting to schedule two Power Five teams per season out of conference. Uh, and, and that's because now you're seeing the Big 12, the Big 10, and the Pac-12 are all playing 10 conference games, or nine conference games, and usually plus one P5 opponent. So just for example, Alabama starting in 2025, they play at Florida State, hosting Wisconsin. 26 is at West Virginia, hosting Florida State. Uh, at Ohio State, hosting West Virginia. At Oklahoma State, hosting Ohio State. Notre Dame and Oklahoma State, Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. Uh, and this is a common trend for them, Georgia, Florida, and Florida State. And Georgia is actually scheduling three per year with Georgia Tech and then plus two more. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, Auburn is kind of, right now we've got one per year through 2030 with this Miami edition. I'm wondering if we see Auburn jump on that train and add a second Power 5 opponent per year. Well, and that's mm-hmm. one thing that the 12-team playoff also accomplishes, is it gives you the wiggle room to lose a game. Quality so, loss has actually become a thing, I think, at this point. Yeah. Where so like a, really an issue before. So if Auburn, like Auburn, let's say 2016 Auburn loses to Clemson week one, the season's effectively over. Now, you lose the spinning quarterback game, and you is that, the, is that, is that that's the one, right? That's the game. Yeah. yeah. You lose the spinning quarterback game in week one, and you still have the opportunity in 2016 to make the playoff by the end of the year. So if that's the case, why not schedule an opponent like Clemson week one? Why not? make a home-and-home home Georgia Tech again. Yeah, and they don't have to be uh, all you know, these world beaters. You don't have to play Clemson and Georgia and Ohio State every year. You know, you said uh, Alabama's got a year with Oklahoma State and Ohio State or Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. Um, you know, I mean, Georgia has a home-and-home home with Louisville on the schedule. Florida has – shockingly, Florida is – getting in on this on traveling and going to Utah. That is shocking. To NC State, to Cal, to Arizona State. I don't think Florida's Colorado. played I don't think Florida's played a non conference game, non bowl game. Outside of Florida. Outside of Florida in my lifetime. Yeah. And they're doing it every other year now. Um, I, I do have questions about whether this uh, you know, we just talked about the playoff um making it more open for G5 teams. Well, I think you might start seeing it hard for UCF to schedule a power five opponent. If Auburn's playing 10 power five opponents a year, instead of uh, adding an extra G5 game. Yeah. Um, That's going that to be as you're a way to unofficially this, choke them out. As you said all that though, are you talking about 10 years from now when we have openings on the schedule? Cause mm-hmm. we're pretty much got them. No, stacked, but, all, but Auburn does. I mean, Auburn. Auburn has only. Let's see. Well, no, I, I'm Auburn saying, has one Power Five opponent scheduled per year through 2030. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's. That, and I think I think the next two or three years they have the non-conference full, but after yeah. that, 24, 25, do you go add NC State? Do you pick up that North Carolina game? Um, Auburn should do a know. salute to the troops game for three years in a row, where they beat Army, Navy, and Air Force. In consecutive years. And then hang a banner for beating all three of them? Well, because they do a salute to the Troops game. Let me go to those stadiums, because I would love to go to Colorado Springs. Yeah, it's uh, gorgeous. It's a gorgeous campus. All three are great campuses that your tax dollars have paid for. But I think that having – because we already do a military appreciation week and have very bizarre military-themed Auburn paraphernalia. Might as well play the military academies. Sure, Under Armour would love it. They love that crap. I, I will say, don't uh, don't save those for your end of season non conference game. You don't want to play those triple option teams late in the year. <laughs> no, but it'd be good to play them like it'd be good to play them early in the year when the weather's nice in those places, <laughs> and not in Alabama. 
Imagine somebody like Army or Navy getting into the playoff as a 12 seed. And, uh, I mean, Ryan, no five seed is going to want to play him. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm and I love your positivity about this, but we all know <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be four SEC teams, and, Ohio State and maybe Michigan, Oklahoma, Texas will get thrown in there every so often when it shouldn't, and Alabama. If you're telling me an 11 and one Navy American champion wouldn't make the playoff? Because we're talking uh, about brands. We're talking about brands being favored here. Any military academy that's close, they're that's a big market. It depends. Uh, maybe. Are they, they going to get in over at the team that lost the SEC championship? Yeah, but it's no. not the team no. that lost the SEC championship. It's the team that came in third in the West. No, no, no. Because the team that lost the SEC championship a lot of times, the East in most years, hasn't mm-hmm. been as strong as the West. So you might end up with a team like a Missouri who lost the 2013 SEC championship. <laughs> Who would have well, known, they would have been no They were number four going into the conference championship, but it, they didn't fall all the way to thirteen. Or a so. South Carolina in 2010, who would have had no business being in any sort of playoff conversation. They just happened to win their division. Or who lost the Big Twelve championship last year? Iowa State. No, I think I think it was the year before they had like just some random made the conference championship. Like, well, I mean. Sure, they don't really deserve to go playoff, but they could, I guess. Iowa State would have been an interesting one. Would they have gotten in last year after losing the conference championship? I'd have to go back and look at you know, what their schedule and record was, everything, but potentially. And that's weird. Like, would you? So they they would have finished. I think they finished overall fourth in the Big Twelve or third in the Big Twelve. They were a huge story nationally for a while. They probably get in over an eleven to one Houston, and they probably shouldn't. From a record standpoint, they definitely should. From a talent standpoint, yeah. So you have eight and three in the regular season. Iowa State, or sorry, eight and two, loses to Oklahoma in the conference championship game. Eight and three, eight and three, and they'd be in that son of a gun. <laughs> They had losses. Is to, that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? It I, is if you're an eleven and one Houston team. But it, I mean, it didn't matter to Houston before. I mean, uh, you're not Houston key. was never getting in before. Now they have a chance. That's true, but you didn't really solve the problem of Houston not getting in. Yeah, but you did. Because if eleven and one Houston is the number one cop champion in the G5, right. they're in. They have to be ranked. So the only right. way Houston gets in still is if the same people who are keeping them out in the first place let them in now. Well, by ranking unless them there's an undefeated Sunbelt champion or Mountain West champion, a one-loss American champion is probably getting in. Yeah. Well, maybe. I. It's almost like they tried to do a hybrid. I don't, I don't hate this model, by the way. I just don't think it's the end-all, be-all greatest thing in the world. I don't think it solved all the problems it claimed, like the, that the marketing people are telling us that it solved. <laughs> I think an eight-team playoff with the six highest-ranked conference champions and two at large accomplishes the exact same thing. It's just that an eight-team playoff, they, they weren't going to give a spot to a G5 team. Top six conference champions, they have to. They would have done top five. They would have done all the P5 champions, and just Dame. like the BC, and sure, and Notre Dame. It would have been it would have been just like the BCS, where the when you had the Big East as a Power Six, all of them get spots, but only one for the G5. Anyways, I, I like it. it. Honestly, Auburn fans should be the most excited about this because oh, Auburn's yeah. one of these programs where like we benefit way more than most schools would because Auburn's perennially a Second-tier SEC program. Right. You know, Auburn generally should be hoping for a top-10 team in most years. Yep. And now this gets you into a playoff, whereas it got you into maybe the Sugar Bowl, maybe the Capital One Bowl in other years. And going to the playoff, I'm interested to see the recruiting advantage of that going forward. Like, if if you're an Auburn team who consistently is making the playoff, are you able to then recruit, hey, we've been playoff three years in a row. 
will that help Auburn sign kids that we haven't been signing? Or will the other the team up north just go, well, we're winning this same thing every single year. So like, I, I don't I don't know if it's gonna help us actually sign the offensive tackles. No, I mean I don't Alabama. think it, I don't think this affects recruiting that much. I, I don't either. I because recruiting is now are you gonna put me in the NFL or are you not? It's right. uh it's or am I gonna really, play freshman year or not? Yeah, it's not really about are you making the playoffs or any of that? They don't care about that so much as their own development, which is yeah, probably what they should care about in a lot of cases. What you go to college yeah. for? Sure. Yeah, exactly. All of us. All right. Well, guys, we did 105. No, we did an hour and five minutes. So I think that's pretty. We, we beat this horse. I thought we were going short this week. Yeah, I thought we might, but then we talked a little bit of everything including the tour so next week we'll be back with a little bit of tour update hopefully we'll my predictions will all be correct as i think they will be and um then we'll actually get to talk maybe about like a real mock draft from people that are reliable and maybe from Woj. maybe Woj will have a couple of bombs we can we can drop on the pod um and yeah i I like some of the updates I've been reading about Auburn basketball practices from people. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about those two next week. Jabari is going to, oh man, he's going to go off on some teams this year. Yeah, I think Jabari Smith's Kevin Durant in a faux mustache. <laughs> he's wearing like a Groucho Marx mustache right now. That's what, it, what these, these are making look like. All right. Adios. Have a horrible weekend. <laughs>